knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What's up, y'all? It's your host, Will, coming back for a new episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be talking deer hunting, of course. It's November. You might be up in a tree stand right now on one of those all-day sits waiting for that cruiser to come by, or you're at work daydreaming about the rut. And so we're getting Mr. Justin Zarr of bowhunting.com and bowhunterdie to come on and talk about rut hunting strategies. And specifically, we're going to be talking about how we overthink hunting the rut. It's become this romanticized, sexy thing. You know, there's like Rut 101, Rutcation, all this other crazy stuff out there. And so we get Justin on here to simplify it. He's going to bring in some simple nuts and bolts, golden nuggets for you all to hear. But I'm not going to get into it too much. I'm going to let Justin talk more onto it because he's got some serious nuggets that y'all are going to want to take from this podcast. So we just want to thank y'all for tuning into the Hunt Stand podcast. You got lots of different options out there. We really appreciate all the support we've got from everybody so far. And again, y'all, if you haven't downloaded the Hunt Stand app, make sure you do. We got the free version. We've got the pro version that only costs you $29.99 a year. And then new this fall, we've got our pro whitetail tier. It's got a ton of new features from a rut map, whitetail activity forecast, and more that you don't want to miss out on, especially if you're trying to bag a big buck this year. So again, y'all, we just want to thank you for tuning in to the Hunt Stand Podcast. And here's our man, Justin Czar. All right, man. Well, let's get this thing rolling. So Justin, man, I just want to welcome you to the Hunt Stand Podcast. This is the first time we've had you on here. So just thanks for your time this morning. No problem. No better time than November 1st, right? I know, right? It, I mean... Kick off to the rut. The unofficial kick off to the rut. Yeah, the best time of year. It's the best time of yeah, year. Yeah, right? So, man, we're going to talk rut, rut hunting strategies, yeah. deer hunting. We might go down a couple rabbit holes, but what I like to do to get each of these podcasts started, I like for the listeners to kind of get to know who you are. So I like to, sure. I like for each guest to kind of give us that, what I call the 30 foot tree stand view instead of that, you know, 30,000 foot view, but just kind of yeah. tell us about yourself, man. Kind of 
tell us, you know, how you got into deer hunting, how you've got to where you are today. Sure. I can, I can do that. Give you the, the 30 foot overview. Yeah. Um, man, I tell you what, I was, you know, very fortunate to grow up in a hunting family. Um, so I live here in Northern Illinois. Um, you know, my family spent a lot of time hunting Northern Wisconsin when I was young. Um, so I spent a lot of time following my dad around during rifle season in, in Northern Wisconsin and, uh, doing deer drives and kind of being the lookout and, and whatnot. And, you know, I was very fortunate. My dad got into bow hunting, uh, in the eighties and was super big into it. You know, mm-hmm. he took me to Canada with him, bear hunting, moose hunting, um, did a lot of deer hunting. Like as a kid, uh, I was all over the place. Dude, you're <laughs> with, living the dream my, as a kid. As a kid I was, yeah, no doubt. You know, I used to actually used to bring me along and I would film, I'd carry a video camera and, <laughs> and film him hunting when I was, you know, 11, 12 years old, something like Heck that. Yeah. And, um, you know, he owned an archery shop when I was a kid. So, I mean, I just, I grew up in it, you know, I didn't know any, any different. And then, um, you know, as, you know, I, as I grew up and, and, time moved on. I was, you know, just one of those deals kind of right place, right time. Mm-hmm. Um, through a mutual friend, I met Todd Graff, who at the time owned uh, huntingnet.com or hunting.net it was. Yep. At the time, he also owned a, a pheasant hunting club here in Illinois. Huh. And uh, I actually just started working for Todd um, part-time on the weekends. I had another job and he needed some extra help on the weekends, just, you know, putting birds out and helping members and cleaning pheasants and all that good stuff. So I started working with Todd. That was, uh, I think, 03. And then in 2004, I um, came on full-time working working with Todd at, you know, Hunting Net and, and mm-hmm. some of the IT businesses that, that Todd has. And then, um, you know, we started bowhunting.com in 2008. Okay. Um, so Todd had sold hunting.net. Um, was looking for something else to do. And since him and I are both, you know, bow hunting is always like our passion. Mm-hmm. Um, we decided bowhunting.com was going to be the next adventure. So we started that in 08. Uh, I want to say we started filming our hunts in right around that same time, actually. I think we started filming our hunts. And then in 2010, we started Bow Hunter Die, which was yeah. our online show. Um, Todd just had this idea like, hey, man, we're already filming our hunts. Like, why wait to edit a DVD and put it out next year? We'll just put it up on the website and let people watch it there. So that was kind of the beginning of, of bow hunter die, you know, and here we are 12 years later, you know, still doing it, man. We got a team of, you know, 25 ish guys, you know, all around the country that, that film and, and contribute to the show. Um, plus Todd and myself here in Illinois. So that's the, the 30, foot overview, hopefully of everything. I like it, man. I like it. Now y'all are like, Y'all are over 500 episodes, am I wrong, on the YouTube channel? Yeah, yeah. We just did our 500th episode here recently. Jeez. So, yeah, cra- crazy. I mean, it was like, I didn't even realize one of the guys that works for us was like, hey, man, I was totaling up like all the episodes and like, we're pretty close to 500. I was like, oh my gosh, like that makes me feel old. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, we just just finished up the 500th here. So we're, I don't know, 503 or four now, something like that. Golly, man. And it's definitely been a huge success so kudos to you guys on everything yeah, that y'all it's, do it's crazy how it's changed you know the early days was you know kind of followed that tv model of like seasons you know and there'd yeah. be you know 13 episodes or whatever and then you'd take a break and then you know come back with another season and now you know content today the way that it's you know manufactured and delivered it, like the season never ends it's just a no. constant rolling, creating content all the time. There's no break. There's no like 
13 episodes that's like a month now <laughs> that used yeah. to be a whole year I know. now it's like yeah we do 13 in a month so it's it's interesting how it's changed jeez man and you said y'all have 25 guys across the nation yeah. that are helping y'all grab this content right yeah we got about 25 guys out there with cameras running around shooting stuff and and sending it in for the show so yeah it's, it's pretty crazy dang that that's pretty cool that y'all put together a team that big i mean i'm sure that's taken some time too hadn't it yeah, you know, it's you know, we've had a lot of folks kind of come and go through the years. You know, it's um, you know, you got to find the right people. You got to find the people that it, that love it, the people that are doing it for the right reasons, yeah. the ones that you know can contribute good content. Um, so yeah, we've had you know some folks just decide through the years like, man, filming hunts is tough. It's oh, not yeah. for everybody. No, they think they want to do it, and then they get into it, and they're like, man. This might not be for me after all, which is which is fine. You know, I don't judge anybody for it. But yeah, yeah it's taken us quite a while to kind of, um, you know, assemble the group of, of guys and gals that we have right now. I think we got a, a pretty good crew. So uh, it's been it's been fun. It's been an interesting journey. Man, that's awesome. You know, and kind of coming back to how you're talking about like filming hunts is tough. You know, uh, I've been filming hunts this past fall and my dad's retired. And so I needed a camera guy. I'm like, well you know, keep him busy, something to do. So he knows how to run a camera and he's been teaching or I've been teaching him and he's been, you know, picking it up pretty quick. And we went out the other night and, uh, we had a bunch of does come in. We were just filling the freezer, go to shoot, you know, turn, talk to the camera. And he goes, um, oh, I'm a, no. you, you might need to <laughs> check back. I'm like, why? And he goes, I think I forgot to hit record. <laughs> Yeah. So it's it's definitely tough. So all those that are out there I think listening to this or that want to do this, it's not always easy as it seems. I've I've done it twice. The the double punch the record That's button. That's what he did. All the years all the years of filming, man. I mean, I've filmed a lot of stuff, but I've I've done that twice and it it is a there's a sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach when oh, you know. go to review the footage and it's not there. Oh no, he was he was starting to he goes I got to climb down. I, I, I'm sick. I'm I'm just sick to my stomach. I can't believe I did. I'm like, hey, you're not the only one that's ever done it. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, man, what I want to talk to you about today, you know, it's November 1st. We were just talking before the podcast. You're up in the stand this morning. Yeah. And I want to talk and get you to kind of tell the listeners what some of your rut hunting strategies are that you use every year. You know, there's yeah. probably hundreds of different types of things that guys do, but I want to talk to you to so that way the listeners can pick up on what you lean on heavily every November. Sure. So yep. it may not be a set number. We're not talking five, 10, 15 strategies. I want the first thing that pops into your head and what sure. Justin does every November, man. Yeah. I mean, I've always said this, like when it comes to the rut, I like to, I like to cut out all the fancy crap, right? I think yeah. there's a lot of guys that, you know, when you look at, you know, pre-rut hunting, like some of the more, you know, I don't want to say they're fads because they've been around for a while, but some of the like topics, so to speak, they get talked about a lot, right? Yeah. Like moving in close to buck beds and, and finding where they're living and mm -hmm. hunting right on top of them and all that stuff. That's great. Those are all great, like October pre-rut tactics. And if you've got a buck, you know, semi pinned down, those are great ways to try and kill them. Yeah. Problem is once that rut starts, it's like everything changes. Out the window. So for me, yeah, it's out the window. Like that deer's not maybe living in that spot anymore mm. he's moving um so for me it's always been about um finding does right that whole transition 
of kind of hunting the buck bed, like trying to get close to where they're bedding, you know, catch them, you know, after they get up out of their bed, before they get to food at night, like that changes. And instead of doing that to a buck, I'm trying to do that to where the does are at, you know? And I think, you know, as we were talking kind of before we recorded, like I went out this morning, I didn't see anything, right? (sighs) I walk in in the dark this morning, there's scrapes all over the place. I know the spot that I'm in is, is, you know, a good kind of buck area. Mm-hmm. Bucks just weren't there this morning, right? They were probably out looking for does. And this isn't a really good doe area, which most likely contributes to why I wasn't seeing any deer. So my strategy here is going to really change to, you know, move into where all those doe groups are mm-hmm. at, right? Because that's ultimately where the bucks are going to be. Um, I think when it comes to the rut, like it's not rocket science, right? All these, like I said, all these crazy tactics that guys talk about and make videos about yep. and debate online and everything like all great stuff. But when it comes to the rut, it's just all about the basics, right? I'm looking for does, um, first and foremost, um, beyond that, you know, obviously since I'm bow hunting, um, it, for me, it's funnels, funnels, mm-hmm. pinch points, um, in doe areas. So, you know, I like to do a lot of all day sits when I can, had a lot of good luck um, on all day sits. So typically what I'll do on an all day sit is I'll start my morning maybe in or around like a doe bedding area. Yeah. Uh, and I'll sit there through, you know, it might be one, two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and if I'm seeing good action, I'll stay. If I'm not, a lot of times I'll jump out of there uh, and I'll move to like a food source, you know, a cut feet, cut cornfield food plot somewhere where I know the does are going to be at night because that's, you know, typically where the bucks are going to be yeah. uh, in there looking for them. So like, those are my main tactics for the rut, right? Find the does, hunt the pinch points in the travel corridors and sit as much as you possibly can. <laughs> right. It's... I mean, those three things are a pretty decent recipe for rut success. Most of the time, man, it, yeah, that's, that's a great way to simplify because <clears throat> I just feel like there's so much stuff out there, you know, just, just kind of like I think what's kind of happened to bow hunting over, you know, maybe the past four or five years is it's gotten so romanticized and, you sure. know, like sexy this, sexy that, and it just gets overly complicated. And there, I think there's some dudes that they get out there and it's just like information overload and they overthink it. And they I'm have, guilty of that. I think we all are. Dude, I am I too. <laughs> I am too. I mean, especially like, I mean, I know it's kind of a topic but when it comes to bow building and stuff you know i got a press here at the house and i start getting into foc and oh my god yeah it's just Just put the arrow in the right spot and most of that other stuff doesn't matter i know man (laughs) when it comes to the tech side of things and and shooting a bow i've always talked about bow hunting as like two very distinct halves Mm -hmm. right there's the hunting part of it getting close enough to an animal keeping it together making a shot right there's that piece of it and then there's like the archery side of it right the gear all the equipment and all that stuff and it's so much easier for people to focus on the gear and the equipment and obsess over it like because it's easy to do i can do it from in front of my computer or in my shops you know basically right behind me i can sit here and tinker and play with stuff and go in my garage and wrap everything with stealth strips and get everything ready to go Mm -hmm. you know the hard part is scouting you know putting in the work you know being out there when it's hot or buggy or cold or whatever like but all of that stuff like the hunting piece of it um is so much more important because like none of the gear really means anything you can have all the greatest gear in the world Mm -hmm. but you can't get close enough to a deer to shoot it like it doesn't it doesn't mean anything so i've always felt like 
if there was a pie chart, so to speak, of like how we allocated our time hunting, we would be way better off if our gear time went smaller and we spent more time scouting and hunting and more time practicing shooting our bows. Isn't that the truth? Those two things get neglected in favor of going online and researching what the hottest lightest quietest new gear is mm-hmm. when i should be out shooting my dang bow well it's like people <laughs> they they need that new hottest item and they think that it's just gonna automatically kill the deer form and it's like you said it's like, yeah. no you you got to get out there you, you got to do the work you got to put boots on the ground you got to get it done so yeah i want to come back to your strategy you know we've pretty much yep. we've narrowed it to some basic fundamental things and that's finding the does Having a food source of some sort that you know those does are going to be at so you can concentrate your time and efforts into. And then we've talked pinch points. But I want to talk about a couple other variables with the rut. Um, I want to talk scent control. I want to talk scent usage, if you use that all, and the moon. So how do you let the moon play into your rut hunting strategies? I don't. Don't worry I mean, about it. I don't. I couldn't tell you what the moon is right now. I used to, mm-hmm. and I tell you, and when I was younger, I, to your point, I, I kind of overcomplicated everything I did. Yeah. I looked at every possible detail, whether it was the moon and the barometric pressure and the wind direction, mm-hmm. you know, from day to day and the temperatures and just all these different things. But in reality, like I think for most of us, right we've only got a certain amount of time and days that we can go hunting today. Yeah. This morning was a morning that I was fortunate enough that my schedule allowed me to go hunting. Yeah. Like, was I, was I not going to hunt if the, if the pressure wasn't right or if the moon wasn't right or like I was going regardless. So yeah. what I realized is like, I'm not going to pay attention to that stuff because it doesn't affect when I actually go hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for some people, maybe it affects like when they're planning on taking a vacation if they're, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be fairly flexible in my schedule so I can move things around if I need to. I know for some folks, like they got to put in vacation time weeks or months ahead. And yeah. so they're going to plan that based on the moon. Um, you know, I tell you just it, it, the moon thing is very interesting because, you know, there's a lot of really good successful honors out there that swear by it. And then there's a lot of scientists that say it's all bogus. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, who do you really believe, you know? Uh, a lot of times I think uh, our own biases play a part in like um, what we believe that we're seeing yeah. based on certain conditions. So like if a day in our mind is supposed to be really good and we go out and we see something, well, great. That's why we saw something. Um, if if in our mind it's supposed to be a bad day and we don't see anything, well, it's because it was a bad day Yeah, you know, because of the, the wrong you know moon or pressure or whatever. So like I said, I don't really pay attention to the moon. Um anymore to be completely honest with you um i'm gonna hunt whenever i can hunt i think when the time is right uh and it's the rut and the deer need to breed like they're gonna breed yeah Um, absolutely so for me i'm gonna go hunt as much as i possibly can uh regardless of that stuff uh scent control wise um like a lot of guys i think i was a crazy fanatic person for many, many years. Super worried about it. (laughs) Yeah. And as I've gotten older, that, that pendulum has swung uh, a little bit. And now I think I've found kind of my happy balance uh, of where I believe um, I'm happy with my scent control. Um, You know, for me, it's all about like, um, 
you know, obviously trying to play the win, right? And I know that's like an old cliche, right? Play the win, play the win. But I mean, that really is number one in scent control for me is just playing the win and making sure that I'm in the right spot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, though, deer are wild animals. They don't always read the script as we know, right? never. So so it's like we think something's going to happen and something else happens. So, I mean, scent control does still play a role in that. So, you know, I'll give you an example as this morning, right? I woke up, took a shower. Um, you know, scent free shower, drove out to my spot. I think he, what this today's Tuesday. So on Sunday evening before I hunted, I ozoned all my gear. I do believe in ozone um, a lot. I don't mm-hmm. use it as much as some people are a little crazy with the ozone, I think. Um, I know guys that ozone their stuff for like an hour, like before every hunt. Oh. I, I'm kind of like a once a week, maybe, you mm-hmm. know type of thing uh obviously the big issue with ozone is just it eats like rubber and elastic so there's certain things i need to take out of my tote um that i don't want to get ruined yeah uh if i ozone too much on them but yeah i mean i ozoned everything on sunday keep it in a you know in its own tote my boots are in the back of my truck all that stuff drove out you know uh, got dressed sprayed down this morning Mm -hmm. um i will run an ozonics unit uh at times I don't always run it. It's just one more thing to carry. Uh, but on a morning like this morning, it was like basically no wind. And if you have those no wind mornings, what you find is that your scent is kind of going everywhere. Like I could take a breath and it was going east and then I could take another breath and it was going west. And it was like on days like that, where it's hard to play the wind, I will run an ozonics unit. Yeah. Um, I do believe that they work. Um, the new one is actually really nice. This is my first season using the, the whatever the new HR 500 that just came out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very quiet. And that was my biggest complaint about my old Ozonics unit was like a morning like this morning where there's no wind and it's dead calm. I hated listening to that stupid thing run <laughs> over my head. It just like ruined <laughs> the experience for me. So yeah. I stopped using it. Um, got a new one this year and it's almost dead silent. You almost can't even hear it running up there, which is very nice. Um, so I will run one, like I said, on occasion, if I'm going somewhere where I think I'm, I'm pushing the wind, like, you know, I'll run it. I don't run it all the time. Um, as for scents, uh, you know, I will use some scents, you know, from time to time I used a decoy the other night. So I used a lot of buck urine, you know, um, around that outside of a decoy, I don't use a ton of scent. I will use scent again in those occasions where like, I feel like maybe I'm pushing it a little bit with the, yep. with the wind. Yep. <clears throat> you know, I'll take some scent actually just up into the tree with me and spray it, you know, in the air just to kind of, whether I'm using it as a cover scent more or an attractant or just something that hopefully maybe buys me those couple extra seconds that I might need, you know, in the event that a deer comes in a, in a spot where he's not supposed to. Yeah. Um, but that's really a, about it for scents for me. Man, uh, coming back to wind for a minute, um, I am myself, I'm in this weird thing with wind right now because there's been times <laughs> where it's really screwed me. And then the yeah. other, the other night, I mean, it was like a good solid, you know, kind of five to 10 mile an hour wind and had the wind in our face. And I'm like, I knew where these deer were supposed to be coming from because they load up into certain areas this time of year. So I'm like, okay, they're going to be over in this thicket. They're going to come out of there. Wind's going to be perfect. We're starting to get into those last few minutes of light, and I look right downwind of us. Five, there was actually a small doe that nearly walked right underneath our stand, but that one, and then there was about five more does, just straight downwind. Couldn't 
care didn't didn't matter. I mean, we had sprayed yeah. down a little bit, and then I've got uh, one of those conquest scent stinks that I put up in the in the tree. Sure, they didn't care. And there's been other times where it's like how you said there's it's just kind of dead wind disperses and the deer just yeah. freak out man so i'm just like man yeah I, i'm kind of like do i need the ozonics do i need the ozone do i need all this <laughs> or you know there's at times where i'm like oh i didn't need there's any. been yeah there's been years when I, i've done nothing i mean there's yeah. been years when you know i don't even take a scent free shower i just throw on my clothes that have been sitting in the back of the truck and and go hunt and I've killed plenty of deer doing it. Same. You know, if, if you can, uh, if you can, you know, have that win, hopefully in your favor, then, you know, that's the best thing. But like I said, for me, it's more about like, um, when I know I'm pushing it, like mm -hmm. when I know I'm doing something, maybe I shouldn't be doing, but I'm doing it anyways. Cause I don't have a, maybe a better option. Yeah. Then I'll really try to, you know, I, I don't think that I'm going to necessarily fool um, you know, the a mature buck, I'm just looking to buy myself a little bit of time. Like if a deer yeah. comes in a spot where it's not supposed to, like, I want to be able to hopefully, you know, get a shot before that, that deer takes off. So whether it's doing anything or not, I don't know. Um, like I said, I've always believed in, in ozone, mm -hmm. um, on my clothing. I think it, I think it's just, it's a nice, really easy way to kind of get your stuff clean, you know, cause I can throw it all out of a big tote i put everything in there my backpack you know my climbing sticks my saddle um everything all my clothes everything goes in there i take an ozone unit i turn it on put the lid on and then in the half hour it takes me to drive from home to where i'm hunting that ozone's really impregnated everything that's in there and yeah. you know gets a lot of that that funk out of there yeah um the ozonics thing like i said man i i think it works and you know and i know enough you know, really good experienced hunters whose opinions that I trust and value that, you know, have told me time and time again that the thing works. Uh, for me, it was just always like, it's one more battery to charge, one more thing to carry. Yeah, you know, my truth. backpack's heavy and full enough as it is, Yes. you know, so it, that was always kind of the thing that got left behind. And I just wasn't super happy with that fan noise, but I, I will say I've used it, um, like my last three sits I've used it. And this morning was the real test. Cause it was, I mean, quiet. You could hear a pin drop in this morning and I, I couldn't even tell you the thing was up there. I had to like check to make sure it was actually still running. So <laughs> Did I turn that pretty, on? pretty impressed with the new unit. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. All right. So we're going to interrupt this podcast real quick for a quick word from our sponsors. The hunt stand podcast is brought to you by lacrosse footwear, innovating boots that endure with you through every adventure now and forever forward. The Hunt Stand Podcast is also brought to you by Springfield Armory and Winchester. And finally, the Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Yamaha and its full line of class-defining, adventure-seeking motorcycles, ATVs, and side-by-side -side vehicles. All right, y'all. We're going to get back to this episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. I'm going to have to grab me one of those. Um, so going back to scents, do you yeah. like to put out any kind of scent drips, uh, scrape drips, uh, or, or will you do scent drags at all? Um, I've never really done scent drags, um, scrape stuff. I will do when I feel like it's needed, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like, um, so mock scrapes, right. I think yeah. mock scrapes for a lot of people are, you know, they could be a really great tool, um, to try to harvest a deer. But I think, um, people tend to maybe overuse them and then they don't, they don't necessarily use them properly or mm -hmm. in a, location that's conducive to actually having success it's just like it's kind of a popular easy fad thing to do i'm gonna go out i'm gonna put a camera here i'm gonna 
drip some stuff on it and you know call They'll it, in, like it. made a mock made a mock scrape yeah you know? um i think if you talk to you know the guys that are really successful at using mock scrapes like they need to be freshened on a regular basis they need to be in a specific location that's conducive to getting a buck to visit them during daylight and and really they, they do serve a purpose but i think for a lot of guys it's just like a convenience i'm going to put one here and throw a camera on it and you know see what shows up type of deal mm-hmm. um so for me like i said if, if i think i know where a buck is living you know but maybe he's just not a daylight mover or it's october and i'm trying to you know have him visit a spot a specific location before dark you yeah. know maybe you're waiting for that first good cold front like in those cases yeah i'm a big fan of mock scrapes i think if done properly they could be really really good uh with the goal you know the goal of any mock scrape right is that, that they get taken over yeah. by you know the actual deer that are living there and then you just kind of continue to freshen it up you know as you go but they don't really work unless you freshen them up fairly regularly right? yeah that's kind of the whole point of them a lot of people just make them and then they they leave them so so i mean if you're going to do it you kind of got to commit to the to the the process of actually doing it when it comes to freshening up um this might be a little bit of a controversial topic for some folks out there i think there's a lot of guys that they try to get like that perfect scent that they put on these or they have a a drip that they put on it and i myself have done this next method but do you ever urinate in your scrapes (laughs) <laughs> we were just talking about this the other day i mean i i do i'm not yeah. against it by any means it's just i do it like if i happen to have to go to the bathroom and i'm walking <laughs> past a scrape i'll i'll pee in it but i'm like i don't set out with like i'm gonna go to this scrape and pee in it no like it's kind of like if i'm there and i gotta pee i'm peeing in it for sure <laughs> um but that's that's really about it for me well man i you know being from texas um <laughs> We always thought like, oh, like there's guys that'll carry gallon jugs to their stands and stuff just because they don't, they don't, they're afraid of that scent. So I kind of grew oh, up. Oh, the pee jug. Yes. Yeah, the pee I, I grew yeah. up with, you know, you got to take that piss jug with you because there's this stigma that, oh man, that deer's going to smell your pee and it's never going to come in. Well, last year I got to go hunt Nebraska for the first time with Josh on our team here. And we were, we went and hunted the first week in November. I left, I actually left on November 1st and, uh, we get up there and, you know, we had seen a little bit of deer movement. We had this pretty solid trail that was coming in front of our tree stand. And Josh was like, man, have you tried a mock scrape? I'm like, no, man, I've, we don't, we don't do that in Texas. Like we don't worry about that down here. I mean, unless you're on a piece of public land or something that you somehow got the draw on. And he's like, well, try one, man. And I'm like, well, dude, I don't have any sense or anything. He's like, just piss in it. I'm like, what? And I kid you not, Are you man, insane? I know that, that was my thought. I'm like, dude, he's going to make me blow this whole area up. I'm not going to see a deer. So that evening we had a couple deer come in and me and the camera guy kind of were talking. We're like, man, what the hell? Why not? So made a quick mock scrape with some antlers that we had that we'd been banging together and I just pissed in it. Well, the next morning we came back. There were three new scrapes or three new rubs in the area this deer had come in and completely destroyed this scrape had knocked down. I guess you could call what he now had a licking branch there. Next morning we're sitting there. There's a 10 point coming in and checking it that next morning and scraping it. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I, okay. I will be doing this from now on. <laughs> so this whole pee jug thing, uh-uh, yeah, not worried about that anymore. Just, I feel like in, in hunting, there's, um, there's a lot of, 
things that have been kind of passed down from earlier generations, Yeah, you know, and that's one of them that, you know, like doesn't have any real like basis, but it's just like, that's what my dad taught me. Like I, yeah. I, I was like scared to death to pee out of my tree stand when I was in there. <laughs> we brought pee bottles. I, I remember, uh, so the Wenzel brothers, so Gene and Barry Wenzel used to go around and do these like seminars in the Midwest. And my dad took me to a seminar. I must've been gosh, 10, 11 years old. I remember it was at like a hotel ballroom thing. Oh, gosh. And they did this whole seminar. It's a bunch of dudes, you know, hunters. And that's back, you know, they were some of the pioneers of like bow hunting videos, you know, bow hunting October whitetails was mm-hmm. like a video I watched a million times as a kid. And I remember them telling stories about like peeing in bottles and and everything. And these were guys that were like widely considered some of the best, you know, most successful bow hunters out there. So it was just kind of ingrained into my head, like, don't pee anywhere around your tree stand. Gotta wear rubber boots like at all times, no matter what. Like wearing a non-rubber boot was a sin. Um, and just like all these these different things that I've since like learned as I've gotten older, that like, man, none of this stuff really matters as much as I I thought that it did. I uh, know. Oh, and it's like that, and then that kind of sparks the whole debate of like, man, you don't need all this fancy camo. You can just go up there wearing your red flannel and blue jeans and probably kill a buck. It's probably. I mean, people have done it, you know, for a long time. And now there's this like uh, kind of a trend right now where guys are like, you know, revolting against, you know, the, the that stuff. And you see, I see dudes all the time. They're out there and, you know, flannels and a wool vest yep. or whatever. And, you know, a pair of solid color, you know, car hearts and, you know, shooting deer. Getting it done. You know? So, yeah, it's interesting. It's like the, the hunting counterculture. Oh no, it's 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 quite hilarious, and but that's all right. We all get to hunt, so man. The next yeah. thing, the next thing I want to talk to you about. Do you implement any kind of calling? Do you rattle? Do you do any of that in your rut strategy? Hundred sure. percent. I rattle every time I sit. Okay. I would say I would say I rattle pretty much every time I sit from like late October through December, you know, or through at least the end of November for sure. Um, rattling is for me, one of the best calling methods. Mm-hmm. Um, I've rattled in, you know, a number of bucks over the years that I've shot. So yeah, hundred percent. I'm, I'm all about rattling. I don't grunt a ton. I mean, I'll grunt when I rattle. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really blind grunt a lot. Just take a grunt call and blow on it. Yeah. Um, I will, if I see a deer, if I see a deer, I will 100% call to them. So um, I'm big on, you know, grunt, grunt calling two bucks that I see can see with my own eyes um, because I think there's a lot that goes into kind of knowing when to call and based on their body language and, and whatnot. But when it comes to, to blind calling, I'm all about rattling. Are you the kind of guy, like I, I tried this method where if I'm open a tree stand, I'll actually have a really long piece of paracord tied to two antlers. Uh, you're that guy. Dude. <laughs> I mean, I hate <laughs> I hate when you're up there and, you know, you've got your bow hanging or your rifle, you know, whatever your method is, and you're just sitting there banging and then all of a sudden shooter buck comes walking in. Then you have, then I'm like, I hate having to worry about hanging them back up and then grabbing the bow. I like holding the bow. I like, I I like having the bow tight there. If I've got one of the swiveling hangers and then I'll just sit there and right underneath my tree. And it's worked for me a few times. Yeah, I'm sure it works. I mean, I've never had the issue where they, they're, 
on me so quick that I can't put the antlers down and, and shoot them. Yeah. You know, I wish I, that would be a great problem to have. Well, let's see. That's what I got in <laughs> Texas. Know? I mean, we got, I get up in the biggest tree I have is a, you know, 14, 15 foot live oak that I get up in and I'm covered right. in cedar. So, I mean, you look up and all of a sudden there's a buck standing at 20 yards. Like, Oh crap. Yeah. 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 I hear you. It is interesting how, um, calling and rattling and stuff works differently in different areas mm -hmm. of the country. You know, I'll rattle in, you know, a handful of bucks every fall, usually younger, you know, smaller deer. Same. Um, you know, but like, you know, we went out to, to Wyoming and I think two or three years ago in November in the rut out there and we would rattle in three or four bucks every time we hit the horns together. Jeez. I mean, almost get run over. It was insane. I've never seen the response to calling um, like I saw out there. Like I was like, I mean, I wish they did this back home. <laughs> Man, that sounds like you South know? Texas. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I remember again, growing up watching like old hunting VHS videos. I think those were the, some, some of the first guys I remember seeing rattle for deer was yeah. down in, in South Texas. So yeah, it's just, it's interesting how it works differently. And I'm sure it's dependent on, you know, hunting pressure, you know, deer population, you know, buck to doe ratio. There's a lot that goes into like how responsive they are to calling. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I said, man, I won't, um, I usually won't hunt this time of year without hitting, hitting the antlers together. Man, that's, that's kind of where I'm getting to, you know, right around Thanksgiving is typically when the rut really gets hot and heavy here. I might, okay. I might do it a little bit in another week or two, but right about, right about Thanksgiving all the way through December, every set yeah. I'm doing the same yep. thing. So, I mean, what's the, I mean, I haven't seen it scare a lot of deer away. Right. So mm -hmm. for me, I feel like there's not a lot of, downside to to rattling mm -hmm. you know usually they're either going to respond and come in or they're just going to ignore it yeah right one of the two so there's not like i'm not it's not like i'm taking a risk the only thing i don't like about calling in general like if i have my preference i would i would shoot a deer that's naturally on a, a regular movement pattern yeah. right versus a deer that i've called in because obviously when you call them in they're coming they're looking they're checking the wind they're just they're on alert um, so I find that it's a little bit more difficult sometimes to, to get those deer. Mm -hmm. Um, so if I had my preference, I'd love one just meandering through the woods without a care in the world, you know? Um, but like I said, this time of year, they're covering so much ground this time of year too. That's the other thing about rattling is I might rattle every 30 minutes, you know, all, all day. If I'm doing an all day sit, I might rattle every 30 minutes all day long. Cause you just never know when there's going to be a buck a hundred or 200 yards away that you can't see yeah. that wasn't there, you know? 10 minutes ago. So I, if the neighbors are sitting all day anywhere near me, they're probably like, good Lord, this guy and his antlers just all day long. Hey, if it works, it works, man. Yeah, yeah no doubt. What about doe bleats? I know some guys yep. that use it kind of blindly. I mean, is that you or what do you do? Um, I won't use them blindly. I think they're great, man. I've called in a number of pretty good bucks with a dobly, with like a can call. Mm -hmm. And, um, but again, I'm typically, if I'm, if I'm grunting and it's not part of like a rattling sequence, it's because I've seen a deer yeah. and I'm trying to get their attention. Um, I mean, I, man, it's November. I might even start, you know, you know, with the, with the doe bleat here pretty soon. Speaking of which, I need to go find mine because I don't know where it's at. It's Same. not in my bag, right? It's not <laughs> in my bag right now. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I've, I've surprisingly, like what I found that's interesting about calling to deer and there's a hunt actually that one of my guys killed a really nice buck about four or five days ago here in Illinois. Mm-hmm. And I was just reviewing his footage. We we're editing his show um, last night. And it's just another classic case where like he sees his deer calls to him, you know, grunts to him, right. Gets his attention, but he kind of isn't going to commit. And then he grunts again and he gets his attention and he starts coming, but then kind of loses interest, you yeah. know? And, grunts again and insane it's like this back and forth back and forth and eventually starts snort wheezing at him and that's like what does the trick right all of a sudden like that was the call that, that did it and now here he comes and i've seen that a lot with deer where it's like they won't respond to maybe a grunt call you snort wheeze at them maybe they don't respond to that mm-hmm. and the old proverbial like throw the kitchen sink at them maybe i'll rattle at them maybe i'll and it's like, you just keep hitting them with everything until you find whatever it is that seems to trip their trigger. And then they commit and, and they come in. Uh, this is always just very interesting. I don't know if it has to do with their state of mind that they just happen to be in yeah. or what, but it's, it's really kind of a cool thing to see. Yeah. It's, I've tried it and it's worked some and it hadn't worked some. So it's, and yeah, sometimes you just, there's nothing you can do and they just don't care. Exactly. I think it really all just boils down to, you just got to put time in the stand and literally if you have to throw the kitchen sink at them. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Todd and I filmed like a funny video a couple years ago that was like a parody of like throwing the kitchen sink at them. It was like us up in a tree oh. and we like saw a deer and Todd like, you know, first he grunts and the deer doesn't come and then he, then he rattles, then he doe bleeds, then he's spraying, you know, piss in the air and then he's holding the decoy and up in the, up in his tree stand and we're trying to do everything to get this deer to come in. It was just kind of a, one of those parody videos. Cause it's like, we've all been there. You see a deer and it's just like, they just don't re- want to respond to anything. I remember that. Yeah. That was a couple of years ago. That was pretty funny. Man. The, so one of the, la- the last question I want to ask you is, are you more of a pre-rut guy, a peak rut guy, or a waning rut guy? Do you like to hunt? Mm. You know, because I know some of the things that guys run into is you, when you're in that pre-rut phase, you still you've got those bucks that they're not really committed to a doe yet. They're not really locked down. They're sure. roaming. So, like, kind of what you're dealing with right now. Some guys love the peak rut. And then there's other guys that like the waning rut because you might still have that buck or two that's still roaming. They've, you know, they're, yeah. they're done with one or two does and they're, they want to find one or two more. Like, where do you sit yeah. on that? Um, I would say, I think the, the pre rut has gained a lot of popularity in the last couple of years mm-hmm. in terms of like guys really starting to recognize that like for us that late October is one of the best times to kill a deer. And, and I've killed a number of, of my deer in late October, you know, this year it didn't really work out for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I've spent quite a bit of time taking my son hunting this year, trying to get him a deer. So I've sacrificed a pretty decent amount of my own sits, you know, to try to try to get him on something. It's worth um, it. But I would say, yeah, it is. It's, it's a good time. We've been having fun. So, um, I would say like, Pre-rut, if I had to rank them like one, two, three, I'd say pre-rut is number one. I really like that waning rut is number two. Yeah. Um, and I know there's a lot of guys that kind of like they get burned out or they lose interest after that. You know, it's like that first, you know, 10, 12, maybe 15 days in November. 
here in Northern Illinois, that's when everybody wants to really just put the hammer down. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, after that, they're like, ah, man, the rut's over, you know, (laughs) the rut's done. Uh, I've had a ton of success between like the 15th and 25th of November. I've seen a lot of good bucks moving, um, killed a good number of my deer then. I think I've killed most of my deer late October or like that after the first two weeks of November. That first two weeks in November, like right now, this period, like I haven't killed a ton of deer. I've seen, you know, a, a lot. Um, I'm trying to look around like most of my deer in here, I think fall in, in one of those two other kind of categories. So, um, yeah, I would say don't give up on that. That late rut is a good time, man. I tell you guys think it's over and they throw in the towel and that, you know, 19th, 20th, 23rd, like, man, I have seen some really, really good rutting activity on those days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here in Illinois, the way that our, our season is structured is, our bow season starts October 1st. Um, our firearm season is split. Our main firearm season is split into two separate weekends. And so it's the weekend okay. prior to Thanksgiving. We get three days. So it's like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then think you have the week of Thanksgiving. And then after Thanksgiving, you have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. Okay. So a lot of guys will say like, oh man, once that first firearm season comes, like it's not even worth going anymore. Right. Shoot. Everything's been shot up the deer been chased around whatever but man those couple days leading into thanksgiving right there have been phenomenal for me even after the gun season mm-hmm. um again seeing deer um seeing rutting activity i feel like that weekend like right after thanksgiving again guys are like they're done you know whatever they 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 spent all their time during the first two weeks of november and then oh now it's gun season and yeah bow hunting's over but tell you what man i have had some really really good luck then so that's probably my second favorite time to hunt this this heading into the peak rut that we've got right now like anybody can get lucky and have a buck oh, yeah. come by at this point but man it's it's tough especially for those of us that are self-filming our hunts this is the worst time of year because yes. these damn things don't want to stop <laughs> no they don't or they come like you know we we're talking earlier they can come completely downwind they don't have a care in the world they come from the direction yep. you weren't expecting which nine out of ten times that's how it happens anyway so yeah a lot of times too they venture off you know they're somewhere else you know they're getting shot by the neighbor <laughs> like yeah. it's, so, it's so unpredictable you know and i feel like that that pre-rut window for us here in illinois is you know, obviously the deer don't know it's November 1st. Mm. Um, so I still feel like we're kind of in that pre-rut, but that window is very, very quickly closing. Yeah. Um, usually I'll see the first does come into estrus like the last couple days of October. Mm. Here I've seen a buck breed a doe on October 28th, 29th. Wow. Um, so I'll start seeing, seeing that happen, but most of it will be, you know, like that seventh through the you know 12th or 13th somewhere right in there that's when most of it seems to happen so we got a little bit more time left you know i'm hoping to you know luck into something here before it gets totally crazy same man well man we've talked simplifying the rut you know don't overcomplicate things doesn't have to be as romanticized and sexy as it seems so i know we're running out of time here but any last parting advice for the listeners out there that they're heading out to the stand right now. They're trying to figure out when to hunt over the next week or two. Like what kind of final advice do you have for the listener? Um, man, this time of year, it's just, it's time in the woods. 
right? I mean, it really starts boiling down to like that mental grind. Mm-hmm. You know, don't overcomplicate it. Go to like when in doubt, go to a good pinch point, right? Go to go to something that's going to force deer movement. They're going to be covering ground. Yeah, um, they're going to be moving from one block of timber to another. This is the time of year when you're going to see them running down a fence line in the middle of the day. You know, when you're running out to get lunch or something like that. So for me, it really boils down to a lot of it is a, a it's a mental grind, right? Like mm-hmm. getting up and doing it day in and day out. Like I haven't seen anything. Like everything can change in the matter of a couple of seconds this time of year. So, um, like I said, don't overcomplicate it. You know, when in doubt, still hunt food in the evenings um, and and get on a good pinch point and a good travel corridor pack some peanut butter and jellies and some coffee and sit out there as long as you can. Yep. That's, that's what you got to do, man. Well, brother, man, I really appreciate you hopping on the hunt stand podcast. Tell the listeners real quick about bow hunter die, where they can find it. You personally, anything on social YouTube, tell them. Yeah, man. The easiest thing to do is just go right to the website, right? Bowhunting.com is the the hub for all of the other things that we do. Um, if you want to watch any of the videos, you can watch them on the website or can you go to YouTube, just search for Bowhunter Die, subscribe to the channel. I think we're 156,000 subs now. Sweet. So it's cool to see that growing. Um, obviously active on Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah bowhunting.com is the hub. You can find it. You can get to all the other places you need to go to by going to that one website. Heck yeah, man. I love it. Well, Justin, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for hopping no on problem, the Stand podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, y'all, there you go. Hopefully, after listening to this podcast, you're not going to overthink the rut anymore, and you'll be able to simplify it and put yourself a game plan together to hopefully get a big buck in the coming weeks. And again, y'all, we just want to thank you for tuning in to the podcast, and we'll see you on the next one. spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment want to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest tune in to west marines life on the water presented by costa custom boats every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv